bind yourself. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we studied that in Greek. We said nothing means nothing. It's profound. It's an interesting insight, right? And what we said was, in order to support the growth of the relationship with you and Jesus, that your life has to have such a structure in it that supports that growth. That in reality, that if your relationship with Jesus just took off and there's all this growth and, and fruit, as he says, um, your current structure of life wouldn't support that. And so we talked about a rule of life, and you can get more information about that there at the Welcome Center. And then we covered the two topics, inform yourself of God's Word and devote yourself to prayer. And we said that prayer and Bible reading um, are not exclusive, that you have to do them both together. And so we have um, a Bible study method out there in the lobby for you. We walk through that, how to pray, the Acts prayer method. We've got Bible reading plans out there. Listen, we're doing everything other than like put the bib on you and like feed you, right? Okay, we want to equip you with this thing. And then today um, is, is the E, which is enjoy obedience. Which sort of seems like those two words should not go together, right? Enjoy and obey, right? It's, it's pretty interesting. But really, Jesus gets down to brass tacks. And, and he summarizes this whole abide thing with obeying what he's talked about. And as, as I thought about, man, man, how do we introduce this? How do we talk about obedience? If there is a word... In 2019, that is not popular. It is obey. I mean, we're, we're trying to figure out all other ways to not do that. Um, I, I had an English teacher who said, if you come to the end of your paper or the beginning of your paper and you don't know what to say, um, quote somebody who said it better than you. And so that's what we're going to do today. Um, one of my heroes, uh, Charles Spurgeon, gives a, a very famous story, sort of a parable, if you will, about obedience. And it's called the king, the carrot, and the horse, right? And, and he says, imagine that there was a king who lived in a far-off country in a great kingdom. And he was a very beloved king. And everyone who lived in that kingdom loved living in that kingdom because they loved their king. And there was a farmer, and he had a very, very small farm. And he was a good steward. And he farmed to the best of his abilities. And one day he went out into his garden and saw that he had grown the finest carrot that he had ever grown. I mean, it was beautiful. It was bigger than any of the other carrots. And he was so excited and he was so grateful for living under that king's leadership that he went to the king's court. And he walked into the king's palace. And there on the silver platter was the carrot. And he presented the carrot to the king and he said, Oh, great king, would that you would have favor upon me. For I love you and I love living in this kingdom. And this is the best thing that I have ever done and produced in my farm. And I want to give it to you. And the king was in awe. And as the farmer turned to leave, the king said, Wait, because you have been found such a faithful farmer and a good citizen of my kingdom... And you have given me your best. I want to bless you. And I want to give you the best and biggest piece of land here in this kingdom. Because you're a great steward. And I want you to farm that land. And I want you to live in fullness of that joy. And so the, the farmer left elated. But there was a nobleman who was there in the courtroom. 
And the nobleman thought to himself, oh my, if the king would give someone that for just a carrot, what must he do for something better than a carrot? And so that nobleman um, raised horses and stallions. And he said to himself, I am going to give the king the greatest stallion that I have. The most beautiful stallion, the most expensive stallion that I have. And so he paraded and marched that stallion into the king's court and said, Oh, great king, because I love living here, I'm going to give you the best of my stallions. This is the most expensive and thoroughbred stallion that I've ever raised. And the king said, Thank you. You can go on your way. And the nobleman kind of paused like... Is he going to tell me to wait and give me the thing? And, and it didn't happen. And the nobleman left sad. And the king said, wait. Before you go, let me teach you something. You see, the farmer was giving me his carrot. But you are actually giving yourself the horse. <coughs> what did he mean? Charles Spurgeon would go on to say, when it comes to obedience... The act of obedience is not enough in and of itself. But our king requires the motive behind our obedience. And so today, I, I think a number of things. Number one, I think some of us are going to have a paradigm shift. I think some of us have grown up with an understanding of what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. And what it means to obey God. And you've never felt joy. And you've been insecure in that relationship. And quite frankly, you're exhausted. And then for some of us in here today, I think it's going to rekindle the love and the relationship that we have with Jesus. Because we're going to understand what that true motive is. And in our text today, there's a progression and order of three words. And I want you to have your Bible and I want you to look at them. In verse 9, Jesus says this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments. So we have love. Now commandments. Are you seeing this in your Bible? Am I making this up? Do you have your Bible? If you have a fake Bible on your phone, I'll let that slide, okay? Love, commandments, and now look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Here's the progression and the order that Jesus uses the words. Love, commandments, joy. Love, commandments, joy. Love, commandments, I'm trying to make a point today, okay, right? Love, commandments, joy. Why am I making such a big deal of that? Because the order that the Son of God and our Master Jesus Christ has revealed those words and the basis of our relationship with Him in is the order of the gospel. That is the good news. And listen to me. If you reverse or if you change the order and progression of those words, you completely distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you don't have good news anymore. Love, commandments, joy. 
And so the thesis and the basis, the good news and the declaration of the gospel and our relationship with Jesus Christ is this. Jesus' love for me empowers my obedience to Him. Now the reason why that's important is because I think many of us have either grown up or understood our relationship with God and you've reversed that sentence. And you've said this all of your life. My obedience to God gets God's love for me. And that is not the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what we call a a works-based relationship. That that relationship is now dependent upon you and what you do. Rather than what God has done for you in Christ. So Jesus' love for me, the initiating love of God, empowers and grows and enables my obedience to Him. And so here's what we're going to see as we're going to walk through the progression is this. That love is the root of the relationship. Obedience is the response. And then joy, joy is what's the result. And I don't know any other message that can be so contrary to 2019 and offend the culture than this. And I'm excited to give it. So here we go. The first one is this. Um, Love is the root. Do you see what Jesus says there in verse 9? As my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Do you understand the profound statement that is? As my Father has loved me, as God the Father loves the Son, before creation, before time, there wasn't nothing and there wasn't something. There was someone. There was the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they love each other and they serve each other and they glorify each other. And so much, it was so beautiful and so pure that that relationship spilled out onto the canvas of creation and we have creation. You see, it all started from love. And even go back to Adam and Eve. Many of us think that that God gave them a list of rules first. Don't do this and don't do that. But that's not true. In Genesis chapter 2, after he created our first parents, Adam and Eve, it said that, that God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And then God said, do you see of every tree, everything that's in the garden, all of this is yours. So again, then God says, but of this do not eat or touch. So even then it shows us that God's permission far outweighs God's restriction. Do you see from the very beginning how different it is when you read the Bible through this lens? And then when God raised up Charlton Heston to, you know, to, to free the people out of slavery there in Egypt, he gave what? Did he give the Ten Commandments and then freed them out of slavery? And did he say, obey these commandments and then I will save you? No. God saved the people out of slavery and then gave the Ten Commandments and said, because my love has saved you and because now you are my people, now you will live in light of this love. Do you understand the difference that this has been the theme all through the Scriptures? But I know what you're saying, Jason, that's like new teaching. That seems like theology. You don't have a theology degree. You got some Bible to back that up. I do, actually. Ephesians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul says this. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
that you being rooted and grounded in rules. No? Okay. Being rooted and grounded in your denomination. Being rooted and grounded in what you were against arguing on Facebook rather than what you were for. It's not there, is it? Being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Isn't that beautiful? He says to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul's saying that the love of Christ is so profound, I want you to know it, but, it's, but you can't know it, right? That you may be established in this. Why is this so important to understand? Because your relationship with God, I'll put it this way. Remember when Jesus was asked that question, hey, what's the most important thing in all of the law? He was asked a question about the law, the commandments of God. How does Jesus correct the statement? He doesn't talk anymore about commandments. He goes back to the progression that we learned this morning. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then this, love your neighbor as yourself. What's Jesus teaching us? Listen, this is profound, and I believe that this will be very applicable to you in your life. Many of us struggle with our comprehension as to who God is. And rather than using the scriptures and the image of Christ to shape our relationship and our view of God, we create God in our own image. And the way that you can find out how you view God and what the root of your relationship with God is, is your relationship with other people. And how you treat other people. And how you view other people. Because your relationship with God determines your relationship with other people. And so I came across this very helpful sort of dissective chart in this book that talks about wrong root relationships. And so many of us are working on relationships and the root of them is wrong, but it's a description of our relationship with God. And so the first wrong relationship root is, is power, right? Many of us are jockeying for position. And, and if power is the root of your relationship, then your greatest nightmare and fear is failure, right? Because or humiliation. Because if it shows and you failed and you're humiliated, it shows that you have no power. And so people around you in relationships will feel used. Why? Because they are not people. They are pawns to be used and jockeyed into position. And oftentimes you don't allow people to get close to you because in order to have a close relationship, you have to surrender some of that power. And your troubled emotion, how does it show itself in your day-to-day -day emotion? Is anger. Because when we are angry, we feel less than something. And power is a long relationship root. The second one is this, um, approval, um, affirmation, insecurity, to be liked, to be loved. If, if, if that's your relationship root, your greatest nightmare is the same as Martin McFly's. Right? I don't think I can handle that type of rejection. Right? And so being rejected is your greatest fear. But again, think about this. That's also your greatest fear in your relationship with Christ. 
is you fear that, that God won't love you. And so you're seeking that approval. People around you are going to feel smothered. Because it's never enough. And what's funny is, because you want to hang out, and because you want to do this, and you want to spend time together, and you want to do that, you actually say things like, oh man, they never spend time with me, and they never do this. All I want to do is do that, and spend time, and I love... But in reality, that relationship has nothing to do about them. It has everything to do with you. Remember the carrot and the horse? So when you're spending time with people, and you're building relationships, that relationship is not about the care and good and welfare of the other person. That's about you. The center of that relationship is you. And your emotion is always going to be cowardice. Because in order to say something strong, you're going to have to risk a relationship. So difficult obedience for you is very difficult. Because if you have to obey and risk something, you're going to risk the relationship. And that terrifies you. Because then they won't accept me. Or the third wrong root of a relationship is, is comfort. Comfort. Which is almost basically the American dream. <clears throat> it's to not live a life of too high of risk, get a good ROI, return on the investment, this, that, and the other, and have comfort as the root of a relationship. But when you do that, your greatest nightmare is going to be stress or demands that require you to do something uncomfortable. And people around you are going to feel neglected. Why? Because you're not going to risk that relationship because people have baggage. And you don't want to deal with other people's baggage because that's uncomfortable. And so I'm not going to allow that to get close to me. And your troubled emotion is going to be boredom. Because there's never quite enough. And then the next thing, and then the next thing, oftentimes these people have an addictive behavior mindset because it's always a high peak performance, comfort, instant gratification, all of those things. And so when you see Jesus say things like, oh no, actually, um, when I bid a man to come and follow me, I bid a man to deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's uncomfortable for you. And there's a breach in your relationship. But I believe by far the most toxic and probably the most common wrong root of a relationship is control. Control. Which leads to safety and power and sort of all of those things. Because if control is the root of the relationship, your greatest nightmare is uncertainty. Something that you can't control. So what you will do is you will plan and organize your life in such a way that you can control that. The problem with that is... People are pretty difficult to control, aren't they? Yeah. And people around you are going to feel condemned. Why? Because they're messing up your control. And so they need to earn to get back into that. And your problem interfered with my life and my plan. And I'm going to punish you for that. And when that's the case, your emotional life will, will be a worry and of stress. Do you see? See, this is not just a theoretical concept in God. It's just out there. But what's the root of our relationship with each other? Because that's the basis of what we're doing and projecting on to God. And so to sum it up this way, your relationship with Jesus grows by centering yourself on what He has done for you, not what you do for Him. Because all of those other roots of a relationship are about you. 
And when that's the center, you've got to keep it all together. And then when unexpected things in life happen, and the relationship, and this, that, and the other, then stress, and we say it all the time, anxiety enters your world when you are at the center of your world. And when things start quaking and you can't control that, that is, listen, as Tim Keller says, anxiety is the sound of your idols crumbling. Because that was supposed to be stable. And that's where my hope and affections were. But now I lost the job and this relationship and that. And that's the sound of the idol crumbling. But Jesus says, abide in my love. That Jesus' love for you is is the root of the relationship. But But it requires something. It produces something in us. Which is obedience. So love is the root, but then obedience, our obedience is the response to that love. And look at what Jesus says, the very next verse, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Do you see it now? That actually obedience is not this begrudging task that we think it is. Jesus says that's actually the most fundamental way that you respond and reveal my love for you. And I know what a lot of people say, but Jason, if you teach that love is the root and love is the initiator, then you sort of lose control of people. And then people think that you can do this and you can do that and it's okay because God's love and He forgives and all that. Listen, If somebody says that God's love and God's grace is so big that it doesn't require repentance and obedience from them, they do not understand God's love. And it is not God that they are worshiping, but rather themselves. And the Apostle Paul actually encountered this argument. He had to write and clarify about it in the book of Romans. And he says this, What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means... Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Listen, here's what I love about that, because it's so anti-2019. Listen, so the, the ideology today is no submission, lack of obedience. So now, don't tell me how to do this, don't tell me how to date, don't tell me how sex, don't tell me how marriage, don't tell me how any of that stuff is supposed to go. It's 2019, we have a new way to be able to do this. So the lack of restrictions is actually true freedom. And what the Apostle Paul is arguing is, uh uh-uh, you're saying that you're free, but in reality, you're a slave to yourself. You're a slave to your own desires. And think about it, just look at the culture. We should do it this way. Ten years later down the road. Oh, that's so outdated. We should never do that. We should do it this way. And it's a constant reinvention of something. So the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, listen. It's not if you obey. The question is, who are you obeying? Who are you obeying? 
And even if you're a non-Christian in the room today, you're arguing, obeying Christ, and all of this, that, and the other, you are still obeying ideology. And the Apostle Paul said, listen to how countercultural this statement is. True freedom is actually found in submission. That's where true freedom is found. And Jesus says the way that you prove and the way that you show that you understand my love for you, the initiating love that I have, is that it's found in the obedience to my commandments. But it's love and then commandments. And some of us think that a relationship with Jesus is if I obey, then I'll be accepted. And that's anti-gospel. That's religion. The gospel says, I'm accepted because of what Jesus has done for me. Therefore, I obey. Do you see the difference that the love at the root of the relationship produces that obedience? So, I would challenge you. What area in your life are you obeying Jesus the least? What area of your life, financing, whatever that is, what area in your life are you obeying Jesus the least? Because that's the area that you believe the gospel the least. Because what is lying? What is this? What is that? In that moment, we think this promise of sin, whether the clicking on of an image or doing this or doing that, we believe that the promise of sin in that moment is greater than the promise that Jesus has for me. And the declaration of the gospel is not behave. The declaration of the gospel is believe and look to Jesus Christ because he there has the greater promises and joy for you. So it's not try harder and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but rather it's believe and look to Jesus more because there in that moment, that's what fuels and fills our obedience. It's not try harder. It's to linger and to look and to love more. So if love is the root and the initiator and obedience is our response to that love, then joy is the result of that. Because look at what he says in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you. Here's my whole point. Here's why I'm telling you this. That my joy may be found in you. And that your joy may be full. Interesting. It's not your joy. What comes first is Jesus' joy. That's in you. And that joy is what fills up what is lacking in your life. And here's honestly what we believe and think. We believe that submission to Jesus, we don't believe that that's a good thing. We believe that obedience takes our joy away from us. Right? It's the same thing when it comes to children and why they disobey or why they lie or why they don't believe that what the parent's declaration has said is good and they disobey. Listen, parents, that's a heart issue. That's not just a behavior issue. But what Jesus is saying is obedience doesn't take you away from your joy. It takes you to it. It takes you to it. And so I know what you're asking but Jason, I have a lot of questions on this side of the relationship and obedience. And I don't know what, what Jesus is asking of you right now at this time in your life and season. 
what would you know of the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Jesus is asking you to submit to him. But I know this. I know that on this side of obedience, you will not get the answer to your questions. The answer to your question is on the other side of obedience. And when you pass through that difficult obedience and show that you really believe in Jesus' love for you and submit your life to Him, you will look back and therein lies the answers to your questions. So Jesus' love for us is what empowers our obedience to Him. As the band comes and leads us in a time of response, I want to summarize this entire series with this quote. The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed and broken that Jesus had to die for me. Yet, at the same time, I am so loved and valued that Jesus was delighted to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling down at other people. You see, I cannot feel superior to anyone because I had to be saved by grace. And yet, I have nothing to prove to anyone because I was saved by grace. I do not think more of myself or less of myself. Instead... I simply think of myself less. The key to your relationship with Jesus Christ is removing yourself out of the center of that relationship and placing Jesus at the center of it. And with understanding that, true abiding will happen. Bible reading and prayer and community and all of those things become fruit and evidence of that love in your life. And so in just a moment, we're going to get to come and we're going to get to see what Jesus said in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. Listen, this is what's so profound about the gospel. The very demands and declarations that God says of what his standard of the relationship is, he himself fulfills. That is grace. And that is good news. And you will get to come and see the body broken and the blood shed. And that love is the root of the relationship. And obedience is your response. Heavenly Father, we come before you today grateful. Grateful for our understanding of what it is to abide. And I pray that this is not just a series that is short-lived, but one that anchors deep down in our soul. God, I pray that a paradigm is shifted today. That someone realizes, man, I've been trying to earn my relationship with God. They're so tired, they're so exhausted, they're so filled with anxiety and anger and all of those things. God, I pray today that through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the proclamation of your gospel, that that burden is lifted and that grace is put into place. God, I pray for people that have been walking with you, Jesus, for a long time and that the root of the relationship would be rekindled and renewed and refreshed knowing that even after all these years of walking with you, that it still doesn't depend on them. 
but that you're carrying far more the load of the relationship than we are. And that, that is grace. And that will change all of our relationships. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand where you're at? Come forward and partake in communion as you feel led today.